You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 899 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland coming to you on a Saturday evening into Sunday morning. And thank you, as always, for joining me on the podcast. A lot to get to. The Hawks fell to the Cleveland Cavaliers this evening by a 96-91 margin. And they blew a double-digit lead in the second half of this contest. Some frustration uh, boiling over, um, I would say, from Hawks fans that I have heard from this evening. And I totally get it. It was a pretty bad loss in a lot of ways for Atlanta. We'll dive into that as we always would. Normally a little bit shorter episode on the weekend, but I'm not sure that's going to happen this time around. There's plenty to get to. We'll dive right in, but again, thank you for joining me on the pod. Um, First things first, before we get to the game itself, there was one pretty major injury update that transpired on Saturday. The Hawks had already ruled out Gallinari for two games. He was uh, missing yesterday's game in Brooklyn, and then he missed today's game against the Cavs at home. But actually, during the game, Gallinari, it was announced by the Hawks during the game that he had an MRI on Saturday morning at Emory. Um, that confirmed a right ankle sprain, what the Hawks have announced, and that also had associated swelling and inflammation. And the big timetable is there. Um, the Hawks are announced that he will be reviewed in two weeks. And as I say often on the podcast, a two-week review or any kind of review or reevaluation does not mean he returns in two weeks. That's just that he gets actually looked at again. It's been that case for Akongwu, Dunn, etc. A reevaluation timeline is not a timeline for return. But with a two-week reevaluation... That definitely rules Gallinari out for two weeks or more. And if that comes to fruition, the first time that he could play after that would be MLK Day. That's a seven-game sample that he will now miss in addition to the two games that he's already missed on Friday and Saturday. So I would say nine-plus games guaranteed here for Gallinari to be out of the lineup. And as we saw on this evening, the Hawks are deep, but... At the same time, if you add Gallinari to the mix with guys who are already out with the Kongwu so far, Dunn, Snell, and then Rondo is a little bit um, sort of banged up right now. The Hawks are pretty shorthanded in some ways, and Gallinari is obviously one of the better players on this team coming in. So he's only played about you know 20-something minutes total through six games, and now he'll be out for a couple weeks here. So keep the, you know I, I would say don't panic. Gallinari is a guy who's been banged up before. He's been healthy the last couple of years, so I wasn't terribly worried, but I didn't mention a lot in talking about the, the signing of Gallinari, that he's not, he's not always been the most durable guy in the world at going back a couple of years, and he's a little bit older. Nothing in terms of like serious injury here, but ankles are tricky. We've seen in the past that the Hawks have had some long-term ankle injuries. Um, Mike Muscala had a long one. John Collins had a long one a couple of years ago. Um, sometimes the, those can be pretty tricky to deal with, so we'll see what happens with Gallinari here. There's no reason to push him necessarily as an older guy signed for a lot of money for multiple years. But the Hawks do need him, and that's a, that's a pretty big loss, as we saw uh, in part this, this evening, as the offense um, certainly could use his impact off the bench. So we'll talk about that more later on, but again, Circle MLK Day is the earliest possible timeline, but he will miss the homestand this week. He will also, also miss the first West Coast road trip, which is right before MLK Day, and uh, that's as early as he possibly can come back, so we'll keep an eye on that and update you as it gets going. Elsewhere tonight on the injury report, nothing else really jumps off except for Rajon Rondo. Missed this game again. Uh, Goodwin actually was on the injury report coming into the game with an ankle impingement, but he ended up playing and playing pretty well. Rondo missed this game. Pierce was asked about Rondo. He did. He sort of he sort of downplayed it. Said he was feeling better, etc. So we'll see if Rondo plays on Monday. I'm not terribly worried about his 
um, his knee that was listed on the injury report here, but he was not able to go tonight, and that left the Hawks with 12 available players when you already ruled out Dunn and Kong, Wu, Snell, Gallinari, etc. The Cavs were also short-handed, though. The Cavs did not have Kevin Love or Isaac Coro in this game, as well as Della Vadova, Kevin Porter Jr., etc. So it wasn't like one team was super healthy and another one wasn't. But I will say, at the top, as I shared yesterday on the podcast, the Cavs were well-rested in this game. Cleveland had not played since Thursday afternoon, so they had you know two and a half days or so to rest. The Hawks played last night. That is not the reason this game was the way that it was, but it certainly is context-dependent. I know it was early in the year, but the Hawks looked gassed in this game. Um, energy was not high in the second half of this contest, and keep that in mind throughout because the Cavs were rested, they, the Cavs played hard, the Hawks played well at times in this game, but you cannot ignore the context here. And that was one of the big reasons why, by the way, coming into the game, our friends at BetOnline.ag only listed the Hawks as 5.5-1 underdogs. And if you look at the context, the Hawks probably are bigger favorites than that against the Cavs in a normal situation at home. But with the rest advantage, back-to-back, all that stuff, the Hawks were a little bit lower than you might have expected. And this is one of the reasons why. And they ran out of gas in this spot. So, as always, we'll dive through the game. I'll play some audio for you later on from Lloyd Pierce, who people were not necessarily thrilled with this evening. And I, I guess I get that on some level. So, we'll dive into that. But here we are at the top with the uh, with what transpired here. So the only quarter in this game that was actually positive for Atlanta was the first quarter. Um, the first quarter, the Hawks won 35-25. I know they won the second quarter as well, but they scored 35 points in the first quarter. And spoiler alert, the other scoring quarters, 21 in the second quarter, 18 in the third, 17 in the fourth. And for a team that's as good on offense as the Hawks are, that's pretty brutal. And uh, yeah, so... At any rate, at the beginning, the Hawks did start out defensively, by the way, with uh, Young on Exum and Reddish on Garland and Hunter on Sexton. Not a huge surprise there, but I wanted to point that out. Atlanta's offense had it going early on. There was a nice dunk by DeAndre Hunter on Andre Drummond in the first couple of minutes. He forced it in there over over Drummond, then actually knocked down a pull-up three that I, that I thought he took with zero hesitation, that I definitely wanted to note in a positive way. Hunter had some nice flashes in this game. He was one of the better guys for the Hawks all night long. Um, but still, very few stops on either side. Coming out of the gate, both teams scoring at a high level. The Hawks did take the lead with a 7-0 run, took up 17-11. Um, Substitution-wise, they, they went to Bruno Fernando for a little bit more. In fact, pregame, Pierce, in talking about the rotation, sort of foreshadowed that we, that we could see more of Fernando in this game because they wanted to have some size against Drummond in the front court of Cleveland. Bruno was not good in this game necessarily, but that was uh, not, not unsurprising that they went to him a little bit more often. In this contest, the Hawks led by um, 9 and actually got up to 11 late in the first quarter. Um, Hunter had 10 points, by the way, in the first 7 minutes. He was really good out of the gate. Uh, They went a little bit smaller after that. Um, There was a couple of um, positive stretches. In fact, the offense was clicking. I thought Trey Young, who was not fantastic by his standards in this game, was good in the first quarter. He had 9 points and 3 assists in his first stint in about 8 minutes. Cooled off after that, but uh, the first quarter was pretty positive overall. You know, Later on, Lloyd Pierce did say after the game, that he thought that they should have been up by 20 at some point in the first half. The Hawks led by as many as 11 before halftime. I just want to point that out anyway. But um, there was some good sneaky substitutions, actually, at the end of the first quarter. Um, Pierce brought Hunter and Collins back in with about a minute to go and stole an extra possession offensively. That was a good decision. Created an open quarter three for Bogdanovich. The Hawks did not shoot the ball great in the first half. Sorry, in the first quarter, or really overall in this game. But it's pretty crazy. The Hawks, again, with relatively poor shooting by their standards were still scoring 1.5 points per possession in the first quarter because they had no turnovers, and we'll come back to that later on, but no turnovers in the first quarter, 
and six offensive rebounds, plus eight of eight from the free throw line and eight assists. So it was basically a clinic on all of the little things in the first quarter, other than shooting, you know, offensive rebounding, taking care of the ball, generating assists, getting to the free throw line. All those things happened in the first quarter, and then they just kind of stopped after that. But the Cavs actually shot better than the Hawks did in the first quarter, but they only got they only had one free throw attempt, more turnovers, and the, and the Hawks led by 10 at the end of the first. So kind of a crazy thing there when you uh, set the table. But again, from that point forward, the Cavs won, won this game by 15 points. So uh, yeah, foreshadowing, but it kind of went awry from there. I wanted to at least lead off with the positive. Talk about the first quarter. <laughs> Obviously, it's in chronological order as well. But from there, um, it was not as good. So we'll get to the half before we take a break here. But the, uh, the second quarter was not terrible, quite obviously, because the Hawks ended up winning it 21-19. But um, the Hawks actually were crashing the offensive glass quite a bit. I thought Goodwin was pretty good in the first half, and really the entire game. I thought, I thought he played pretty well. Uh, but the Hawks had a 48% offensive rebound rate after about a quarter and a half of this game. Now, that cooled off, but they definitely uh, rebounded the ball well on the offensive glass throughout the contest. Um, I thought Capella was very good before halftime. His his motor was running was running really hot. He was playing really hard. He had two dunks within about a minute. One of them was off the, off a steal that he generated and, and finished. He actually got undercut on the second one and landed pretty hard, but seemed to be fine physically. And then another offensive rebound to put back about a minute and a half later. So really really a flourish from Capella in the second quarter to kind of keep the Hawks going. Um, they were leading by 12 at the break, but the lead was kind of in that same like 8 to 12 range the whole second quarter for the most part. A lot of, a lot of back and forth, back and forth. I thought... You know, offensively, they cooled off a little bit in terms of the, of the supporting stuff. Had eight turnovers in the second quarter, but they shot it a little bit better. Still had offensive rebounding, etc. And they held the Cavs in the first half to 2 of 11 from 3 and a 90 offensive rating, which is good defense, quite obviously. I think defensively, the Hawks played reasonably well in this game overall. They just really stopped scoring um, from that point forward. So, at the half, the Hawks in good shape, up 12, and uh, we'll come back momentarily after we're from our sponsors and discuss everything that transpired after halftime. So hold on tight. All right, we're back to talk about the second half and beyond the Hawks up 12 at the break and again, playing pretty decently out of the gate. Capella again was super active to begin the second half. He had two blocks and two buckets around the rim. Uh, there was a nice lob pass by Collins to Capella for a dunk, which is very, very encouraging. Sort of a high low look from Atlanta there. And then Hunter got a run out off of the second um, block that that uh, Capella had, the finish in a dunk to go up by 14. The Hawks did cool off, didn't score for about two and a half minutes, and then Trey Young hit a long three, followed by a beautiful lob pass from Young to Collins for a dunk to go up 67-52. That was the high-water mark of this game. The Hawks led this game against 67-52, and from that point forward, the Cavs outscored the Hawks 44-24. to So that was it. Uh, up, up 15 Moving through, through the third quarter, and uh, the rest of it was pretty ugly. So, from there, back-to-back buckets from the Cavs. Pierce calls timeout. Everybody looks gassed. That, that was on my notes live. I wrote the Hawks looked gassed at that point. So, this is not revisionist. The Hawks are up 11 there, and I wrote and tweeted the Hawks looked, looked gassed. And they did. Um, the Cavs got a bucket after that on a nice spin move by JaVale McGee on Bruno Fernando, who was not good in this game, to go up by, to go uh, start to cut, cut the lead down to nine. And then, it was kind of a danger zone situation for the Hawks and that they had just given up part of the lead with the starters on the court. Then they went to the second unit in the third quarter, and the uh, the wheels kind of came off a little bit there. So we'll talk about that more in a second. But the overall run for Cleveland was 18-5 to to cut the lead down from 15-2. to 
They played some zone that did not work terribly well. And offensively, they played with Goodwin, Fernando, and Hill at the same time. That did not go very well. Bruno got a technical foul um, for getting into it with Javel McGee, which gave them a free point in the middle of that run as well. Um, finally, Goodwin got a bucket to stop the bleeding, but the dots into three. The Hawks scored seven points in the final six and a half minutes of the third quarter, and that included a bucket on the last possession of the quarter by Bogdanovich. So it was about five points in six minutes or so at the end of the third. And after no turnovers at all, which I made sure to note after the first quarter, the Hawks turned the ball over 15 times in the middle two quarters, and uh, that kind of sunk the offense. They were down to about a point per possession for the full game after three quarters, and only up by four as a result. Again, only eight assists total in the second and third quarters compared to 15, 15 turnovers. And uh, yeah, a lot of uh, sort of mess there. Now, to the fourth, the Hawks are still in good position. They're still winning this game, heading into the fourth, uh, but that was short-lived. So, they opened up the fourth quarter with Capella coming back in with Goodwin, Herter, Bogdanovich, and Hill. And the Hawks scored seven points total in about a nine-minute stretch, dating back to the third quarter. They brought Trey Young back in after a long break, but even when he came back in, he was pretty bad in that stretch. Missed a layup right out of the gate. Um, they stayed with the second unit for a long time, but again, everybody, everybody was, was pretty tired at looking. Overall, a 24-7 push by the Cavs to go from down 15 to up 2. And then from that point forward, it was a lot of back and forth. They came out of a timeout after giving up the lead with Young, with Young, Herder, Bogdanovich, Hunter, and Capella in the game. Had a nice corner jumper from Herder that I thought was a 3, was actually ruled a 2 to tie it. And then the Hawks took control again for a brief period of time. There was a nice leaner by Trey Young that created um, sort of a 3-point play opportunity. Actually missed, missed the free throw, but scored and took the lead there. They went smaller after that. They had another two-minute scroll, scroll stint. Missed a bunch of bunnies, I thought. Like, not terribly, like, wide-open layups, but some shots that they have to make in the restricted area. Had two turnovers as well. Uh, they lost Kevin Herter to the locker room with about four minutes to go. Pierce said after the game that he rolled his ankle, and Herter said the same thing. They downplayed severity there, but he was unable to come back. He never was on the bench at the end of the game, so they were down a body at some point. That would have helped them offensively, quite obviously. And then, sort of play-by-play-wise, last four minutes or so, they're down by four. At the, sorry, they're down by three at the 410 mark without the ball. They brought the starters back in with Bogdanovich instead of Cam Reddish, who had struggled in this game offensively. They got a stop, but then Young misses the floater on the same trip. Um, then they had a weird, very weird, I thought, five-second violation by Bogdanovich on a back-down situation. So that's a rare violation. There's another one coming up that we'll talk about. But that was a rare sort of unforced error kind of thing. It was the right call, just one that you don't see very often, and that caused them to drop a possession. Um, follow that one away for sure. The Cavs didn't score, but then Young airballs a three with two and a half minutes to go, down three. He wanted a call, sort of played for the call, didn't get it. And officiating-wise, it was not too kind to the Hawks in this game. I think a lot of the ire was ended up being directed at Pierce, which we'll come back to. But the the, the official, at least from the fan base, I should say, um, Officiating-wise, was there was some weirdness, I will say. The Cavs played aggressively and played, you know, strongly, and that was uh, rewarded by uh, not getting a lot of calls going Atlanta's way. But I thought Trey, especially, tried to sell some calls later on, later, later in this game. That he just didn't didn't get the calls this time around. That, that didn't change the game necessarily, but kind of did in a lot of ways because Cleveland was playing physically. But alas, um, they lost the loose ball from there. They ended in a Cavs dunk by Drummond to go up by five. So. It could have been the Hawks leading again. They kind of missed opportunities back-to-back-to-back. And then suddenly the Cavs are up by five. Um, Trey Young, on the next possession, 
he made this one, but was sort of forced into taking this very weird, like off glass, 18 foot leaner that went in, but he, he was trying to get a call. didn't get it. He did score there. So it didn't, it didn't like burn them, but that was important to note. They actually got a great stop. And I thought at this point in time, they're going to win this game, honestly, because they, they cut it to three. They got a great stop with the help of Collins and Hunter around the rim. Good contest, good rebound. And then Trey Young gets a backcourt violation. Uh, sorry, an eight-second call, so not a backcourt violation, but um, you have eight seconds to, to get the ball across the line. He just kind of had a brain fart, didn't get it across. It was the right call again, and uh, that burned them. That was a bad um, bad moment there from Trey. And again, the second violation, totally unforced. The one back down by Bogdanovich, and then the backcourt one by Trey within about a minute and a half of each other. Pretty brutal timing on both of those. The Cavs had turned it over on the next possession, and they were pretty bad offensively as well. And then finally, the Hawks tie the game. So Bogdanovich hits a three after a nice find by DeAndre Hunter, and the Hawks are back to a tie game under a minute to go. But then on cue, Colin Sexton answers with a three, and he, put, he puts the Cavs up for good, um, up by three with about 27 seconds to go. Sexton was the best player off- offensively in this game on either side, it seemed like. Um, after the timeout, Hawks down three with the ball, with one possession to go, basically. They brought Reddish back in to go smaller to Capella off the court with Herter unavailable. Um, Young finds Collins on a nice pass, but Collins misses the dunk. Like, kind of oddly fitting for this game that, you know, three kind of big errors down the stretch with, with the two violations and, and then a missed dunk by Collins. I, th- I will credit Kevin Sharp for saying this first. I was the first person I saw that said this, but I think Collins was trying to get some contact or at least bracing for some contact, maybe have a three-point play opportunity that would have tied the game. It didn't come, though, and he just kind of tried to throw it down hard and ended up missing it. So that stuff happens, but just kind of a compliment of events that was brutal. And with that said, they don't score there. Cavs get the rebound, and suddenly you have to foul in a hurry to even have a chance. Um, they had a foul to give still, which cost them like five more seconds. They foul, foul. Cavs make one of two, so they only lead by four points, so the game isn't over at that point. They actually got a good look from McDonough on a three that would have at least made things interesting. But he misses that one. It didn't go in, and that was kind of the end of the game. So, again, you know, offensively, it just didn't work in the second half. We'll go over the numbers in a second. But um, overall, the violations, the two the two violations, unforced, and the Collins missed dunk are the two are the three big moments that you will definitely remember. They just missed a bunch of shots, quite frankly, in the second half. Um, takeaway wise, sort of broadly speaking, in this game, the Hawks' offense just wasn't it in the spot. After the first quarter, in which they played which they played great, the rest of the game was just excruciating. And, you know, that's going to happen sometimes, but still. The Hawks scored about 95 points per, per possessions, which is obviously very bad. Um, for the game, they had 22 turnovers and 22 assists. And again, when, you, when I remind you that they had 8 assists and no turnovers in the first quarter, that means they had 14 assists and 22 turnovers the rest of the game. But even broadly speaking for the entire game, you do not want to have as many turnovers as assists, and the Hawks did. Elsewhere on offense, they shot 10 of 19 from the free throw line. Um, first of all, 19 is not a lot of attempts for this Hawks team. And then they also miss 9 out of 19 of them. Granted, 5 of those were Capella. He's a bad free throw shooter. That's what, it's probably his biggest weakness offensively. But even beyond that, you know, you, you don't think he's going to go 0 for 5, and he did. Uh, even beyond that, Trey Young, 2 of, two of 4 from the free throw line. Uh, sort of un- uncharacteristically from him, he missed one in the second half. You know, it's all little stuff, but they didn't create a lot of free throws. By the way, after halftime, they shot two free throws. And this is a Hawks team that was leading the league in free throw rate like a day ago. And they shot two free throws in the entire second half. Um, They shot 40% from the floor 
after halftime and 14 turnovers after halftime, all that stuff. But offensively, it just kind of fell apart in a lot of ways. Some of that's missed shots, like missed bunny stuff that they're going to make. Also some bad process in there too. It's kind of a mixed bag, but alas. Um, defensively, the Hawks, you know, the numbers were pretty good in this spot. They held the Cavs to one point per possession in the game, and that's normally going to be enough to win, especially for this Hawks team with a good offense. They did allow the Cavs to have 52 uh, sorry 52 points in the paint. That is more than they want to allow, obviously, in a game. And Pierce coming into the game talked about that as probably the biggest focus defensively. So they did hold the Cavs to 7 of 29 from 3 and still lost because they couldn't contain the paint and couldn't score. So all that to say, you know, second chance points were big as well for the Cavs, 19 of those out- outscoring the Hawks in that area. But yeah, I mean, kind of complex of events, pretty ugly in a lot of ways. Um, before we get to the individual stuff, I do want to just kind of address what I think was the main thing that I heard from, from fans. It wasn't just me, you know, Kevin and, uh, you know, the mentions of everyone were, were very busy on this night. A lot of it was directed at Lloyd Pierce for leaving the bench in for a long time in the third quarter. Now, before I play the audio from Lloyd, who was asked about this, I understand the criticism. I thought that the, I, th- I personally thought the bench was out there for a little bit too long in the third quarter. They kind of let the second unit hang offensively, and it was really not working at all. And when I say second unit, I'm, I'm talking about the group that was the entire second unit. Goodwin, along with Herter, Bogdanovich, Hill, and Fernando. If you're playing Goodwin, Hill, and Fernando together, that isn't ideal anyway. And on, on this night, Hill didn't really give you much. I mean, I, I'm a big I'm a big fan of Hill overall, but he was not good in this game. And then Bruno was kind of actively bad in this game. So to have those two guys out there for that long, and then Herder was pretty good, but Badanovich didn't really have it either in this spot. So they just didn't have it. And I, I understood it. I'll say that. Why they why they sort of hung with them for a while, because the starters were, again, I made the note earlier, were gassed and not playing particularly well at that moment. But I'll set the stage there. I will play you the audio now, and it will react to it. So here is Lloyd Pierce asked after the game about the decision to sort of roll with the bench for as long as they did and sort of the way that they approached the rotation. It's the same rotation we've used in every game. They actually reduced it. I actually brought the starters back in the fourth quarter a little bit earlier. Um, you know, we, we had a, a somewhat of a lead. I think it was 11 when it took most of the starters out and we, we didn't finish the third quarter well and it ends up being a four point game. And, uh, you know, they're, it's really a one possession, two possession game early in the, in the fourth. And I just thought if we could slowly, I think I sub um, bogey in first and ended up bringing Kevin pretty much after that. Um, but I, I mean, it, it was hard to really hard to, to, to think that if we just stayed the course uh, when that, that end of the third quarter run really just evaporated for us, they, they took the lead and they got, they got into a point where they were, climbing into our guys and I wanted to get our starters back and see if we had one final push and, and it just stayed a one possession game until they took the lead and we just we didn't have any fight but um, you know we've kind of kept a consistent uh, rotation with when our second unit guys are coming in and when our starters are going out and tonight it probably changed Kevin ended up playing a lot more minutes he was playing well before he rolled his ankle um, and so I kept him out there with the starters just because I thought he was the guy that was playing well. All right, so there you go. Obviously, you're never going to get the entire truth from a coach in that spot in a lot of ways, and I understand that's like, like not like a specific answer. He's also not wrong. I think that you could, you could you could sort of criticize him for not changing it up, but they did kind of follow the 
relatively normal rotation that they normally do there. And he's not wrong that they brought the starters back in a little bit earlier in the fourth. That's all true. Um, would I have maybe encouraged them to go back to maybe Young or Collins at some point in that third quarter when it was kind of falling apart? Yes. I don't think you're, that he's above criticism. You know, Pierce is not perfect. Um, I killed him a couple of times last year for some things that he did or didn't do. But I think that the reaction was just like kind of crazy over the top from some people that I saw, like wanting to fire Lloyd Pierce. And that, that's just not a realistic thing. Was he perfect in this game? No. But uh, I thought it was just kind of way overblown, way over the top. And uh, I will say this, this that, that was not what cost the Hawks this game. Because, you know, the starters came back in and were not good. Um, the starters played most of the fourth quarter. They were not good offensively. Would that have changed the things if they brought one of those guys back in or two of those guys back in the third quarter? Absolutely, it could have. But I would certainly point to, you know, mistakes that were made by players, more so than coaches in this game. The violations, the two big ones, the misdunk. Um, you know, Pierce did not make those guys do those things in the fourth quarter. And then just a bunch of missed shots. I mean, sometimes in the NBA, it's a make or miss league in a lot of ways, and they just missed a bunch of shots. Like, effort level was not good necessarily after the first quarter or so execution aggressiveness like it was kind of an across the board failure and again part of that could be attributed to the back-to-back and you know dead legs and Cleveland being fresh and Cleveland by the way you know credit to Cleveland um I think you know Kevin Herter credited them uh so did Lloyd for a little bit in his post game but I thought the Hawks just kind of didn't have it offensively in this spot so you heard the audio. I'm not going to keep belaboring it, but again, I, I try not to do a ton of this, but it was just such the dominating reaction that I saw on Twitter. And I got a couple emails about it, all this stuff about Lloyd not going back to start. I get it. I mean, I could certainly argue that he didn't bring guys back in, but that is not the takeaway from this game, in my opinion. You can certainly nitpick it. I think reasonable minds can disagree on what should have happened or what shouldn't have happened there rotationally, but this is game six. And it was a team-wide collapse offensively for three quarters. It was not just that. Yes, the second unit struggled at the end of the third quarter. But again, the numbers are really, really bad from the second quarter on offensively. And that was basically for everyone. Uh, Even the best players, even the guys who were your big-time creators, didn't really have it for most of the second half, or if not all the second half. So there you go on that. Okay, that's enough of that for now. Now the individual stuff real quickly before we get out of here on this podcast. That is already going way, long, way longer than I probably thought it was going to go. Um, to the bench first. I mentioned this before, but I thought Fernando and Hill were both bad in this game. Uh, Bruno, Bruno uh, I saw some calls for Nathan Knight. You know, <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily, like, advocate for that um, openly. But if, if Pierce had gone to Knight, I would not have been upset about that, if that makes sense. I think Bruno was not good. I do think that Bruno has played well a couple times this year already. But it's a reminder that the Hawks were supposed to have Anyaka Kongwu in that role. And he is a better prospect and maybe a better player right now than Fernando is. So keep that in mind. When And also Gallinari. Like, I think we saw early on, even in the preseason, that there might have been nights when the Hawks just used Gallinari and Collins as their backup center. And they, not having Gallinari or Kongwu makes Fernando a little bit more important. That hasn't burned them in every game. It burned them tonight. I thought he was pretty bad. Um, Solomon Hill, who I think has been really good, just didn't have it today. 0-2 from 3 uh, defensively. Not his best either. So minus fifteen. He was that was the worst plus minus of the entire game. I'm not saying he earned that necessarily, but I think that he did not play well. We'll leave it there for now. Uh, Goodwin I thought was pretty good. Pierce uh, talked about him positively as well. You know he's not going to be a huge creator for you necessarily. You're going to want to play him with Bogdanovich or Herder, and he and, and they kind of did that for most of the time when he was playing. But I thought he was fine. He was not the problem in this game. 
Bogdanovich, not his best night. He was four of twelve from the floor, three of nine from three. Did have two assists and eleven points, but a couple of uh, sort of brain fart moments from him as well. The, you know, the violation was the biggest one, but he was not dynamic necessarily offensively. I thought Herder was better. 13 points, 10 rebounds. Obviously, the injury sort of looms there, but he seemed to be pretty upbeat about it. You won't know till tomorrow probably how much it swells, how much it's going to hurt him, but hopefully he can play on Monday and beyond. But he was he was pretty efficient. 5-11 from the floor, 3-5 from 3. Uh, also had a steal and a block. I thought Herder was good overall. Um, to the starters, I thought uh, Reddish struggled again offensively. You know, defensively, he definitely flashes a little bit on, on a regular basis. He's usually pretty good defensively. But I saw a lot of calls for like wanting the ball in Reddish's hands more in the second half, and I don't, I don't really, sure, I'm, I'm not sure this, that, that was the night for it. I think Cam did not really have it going. He was one of four from the floor, uh, two points in 24 minutes, one assist, one steal. I know he had the nice flashes last night in the fourth quarter when they kind of needed it, but I think that overall, the last couple of games, he's not been very good on offense. So keep that in mind as well. I just don't think he was particularly dynamic today. It wasn't like he was terrible, but uh, one of those things. What this is not the game that I would have been calling for more offense. From Reddish, given the way that he was playing. John Collins was pretty quiet after having a bunch of explosive games in a row. Um, 10 points, 5 assists though, which is a nice number for him. 4 rebounds, had a block shot, 3 of 10 from the floor, 1 of 5 from 3. Um, DeAndre Hunter had the great start with 10 points in 7 minutes, but from there was kind of just like out there. He was fine. Um, did have 2 steals and a block, 2 assists, 5 rebounds, 17 points. He was efficient. Like, I don't think he was bad by any means. I think he was just not quite as good after the first quarter, which kind of applies to almost everyone in this game. Um, Clint Capella was highly productive. Probably his best game um, as a Hawk, at least in terms of like you know physicality, production, all that stuff. 16 points, 16 rebounds, 3 steals, and 2 blocks. That's a big-time night for Capella. It would have been nice if he made a free throw. But other than that, he was he was he was still efficient despite the free throw shooting. And uh, highly uh, impressive in terms of the motor stuff, the blocks that he had, the rebounding. I've talked about a lot, but it really is important to just point out how good he is on the glass. He's elite as a rebounder, and that's been showing already in his short time. And uh, I was encouraged by the fact that the Capella was able to play full go back to on a back to back and play well on both on both sides of it. He played 31 minutes. That's very encouraging for a guy coming off an injury, and uh, he's been very good the last two games. So that's uh, a very a very positive sign overall for Atlanta. And then Trey Young was not great by Trey Young standards. Obviously, he made a bunch of plays in this game. He started off very well. I think Hunter and Young both were great in the first quarter offensively, and it kind of just cooled off from there. Trey still had 16 points and 10 assists, so it's kind of funny to like point about he wasn't great, but you know he just wasn't for him. Six turnovers. Um, he missed a bunch of bunnies, I thought, late in the game. Um, wasn't able to get to, to his spots all the way necessarily, but you know I don't want to pile on. I think he was not terrible. It just wasn't his best game necessarily. So I don't know a lot of that for the Hawks. Again, I could read the numbers off to you all day long, but the Hawks just weren't very good after the first quarter in this game. And uh, there'll be nights like this, but uh, no panic for me. The Hawks are still 4-2. and two. It's still been a pretty darn positive start for Atlanta. And on the bright side, the Hawks have now have three home games in a row on regular rest, Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday, in which they're playing teams that are not as good as them. Obviously, the Cavs aren't either. The Cavs were had the advantage of the rest, all that stuff, and the travel. The Hawks are now home now all week. We'll see how they play, but uh, yeah, Atlanta's in a good spot here. If they bounce back and play well on Monday, all will be forgotten in a lot of ways. It's not a pennant moment for me. The Hawks are still four and two, and if you told me coming into the game, coming into the year, I should say, if you told, if you told Hawks fans they'd be four and two after six, you probably have to take that too. So, you know, take a step back, reevaluate re- a little bit. It's, it's kind of a bad loss for sure, 
especially up 15 in the third quarter, you got to win that game. So uh, I'm not sugarcoating it. The Hawks just played very poorly for half this game or more. But another one coming on Monday. We'll see what happens from there. The Hawks will be off on Sunday after the back-to-back. So no availability is coming. No extra podcast probably. But I will have a podcast. I'm actually planning to have a guest on. I don't want to tell you who it is yet in case it doesn't happen. But planning for that for one more show between now and Monday, and then we'll have our customary recap pod on Monday after the home game. So hopefully two more podcasts in the next 48 hours or so. But please subscribe to the show. If you want to yell at me about Lloyd Pierce, feel free to do that at BT Roll on Twitter. I know Kevin Chenard, good friend of mine, sort of directed all the anger toward, <laughs> towards me on Twitter. And uh, shouts to Kevin for doing that. But uh, I can take it in stride. I do understand frustration. Hopefully people won't go too crazy, but I, I totally get it. Um... But yeah, thank you very much for listening to the podcast. Please subscribe. Please tell a friend. Leave five-star feedback, all that stuff, and we'll see you next time.